Welcome back, everybody, to Who's Your Band? Uh, I am Jeffrey Paul. I'm joined by my co-host again this week, Mr. Sean Morton. How are you, Sean? I'm wonderful, Jeffrey. Looking forward to this episode greatly today. Me too, man. I've been wanting to get this guy on this show for over a year, and it just kind of came together real quick. So let's introduce our guest, because this guy is, he's a singer, he's an actor, He's a director. He is a cultural icon. <laughs> He's a renaissance man. Let's <laughs> let's welcome Mr. Don Most. How are you, Don? Jeffrey, I'm I'm good. Good. Thanks for having me on. We are we are really excited, man. Um, you know what? This is why I, I like having you on, particularly right now, because you are a Brooklyn guy, correct? Yes, indeed. Right. Me and you are Brooklyn guys. Sean is a Jersey guy. We outnumber him two to one today. <laughs> what part of Brooklyn were you from? Did you grow up I was in? I was initially from Canarsie, Brooklyn. Oh, okay. And remember Canarsie? Yeah. Yeah. I think the, yeah, I do. Um might have swam against them because I was on the swimming team um at Erasmus Hall High School and in the Flatbush section of Brooklyn. I think we swam against Canarsie, I'm pretty sure. You know, um, like Erasmus wound up becoming like a real football powerhouse still to this day. Oh, I think I heard that. Yeah. I, we weren't really the powerhouse back in my day. Once in a while, we had a good team, but not a powerhouse. That's for sure. Basketball, so, though, was, was always strong. They were good in basketball. Yeah. I could see that. So when you were growing up in Brooklyn, did you know as a kid in high school that you wanted to get involved in show business or were you, were you into you know, no, something I knew else? Before high school, I, I, I knew pretty young that I wanted to pursue it. I wouldn't admit it uh, right away, but I was about nine years old when I saw the movie, The Jolson Story, about the great Al Jolson. And I was floored by the film. Uh, they had million dollar movie on back then you know, where they'd show the movie twice a night, every night, and then four right, times right. on Saturday and four times on Sunday. So after I saw it that first time, you know, like I said, I'm nine years old, but there was something about, about the music, uh, Jolson's talent. I know Larry Parks played Jolson brilliantly, but it still came, you know, that whole, that whole uh, the style of that music and the great standards. And, and jo- Jolson was, you know, he was considered the greatest entertainer back then so you know i was very impressionable and i became a jolson fan bought albums and then was singing along to jolson all the time in the living room um and then by the time i was 13 what year was this about what year um, was this well when i was 13 it was 66 so in 66 you're a you're a kid listening to al jolson yeah, well, when I, yeah, I was actually, I was actually 1962 when I was listening to Jolson, 62. You're not listening 62. to Elvis. You're not, you're, the Beatles are, are breaking out. You're not, you're yeah. listening to Al Jolson. <laughs> well, you know, the, then the Beatles came out and all that. I mean, I listened to the rock and roll that was going on then too, but it was different. There was something about what Jolson was doing that was a whole different thing. So, um, and then I started listening to WNEW every night before going to sleep on the radio. William B. Williams was the DJ, and he would play Sinatra and Ella 
and all the greats, you know, all the great awesome. of, yeah. of the standards. And I would listen every night and I got the education, started singing, you know, Sammy and Frank and and then my man, Bobby. I was a Bobby Darren nut when I was about 11, 12. I saw him in a movie then went out and bought his albums. And then I was singing to Bobby. And then I saw Bobby at the Copacabana where I was 18 because it, it wasn't the rock and roll thing of Bobby that got me. It was he could do the standards. He could do jazz and blues and swing as good as just any of them. And um, that's what got me. So then by the time I was when I was 13, I got into a school in Manhattan that I'd go to on Saturdays um, for singing and acting and dancing. And I got picked, handpicked by the guy who ran the studio. He, he, he had an act that he produced of all, some of his top teenagers and, and booked uh, like a nightclub act. And I got picked to be in it. So I spent the summer that I was turning 15 in the Catskill Mountains, singing in nightclubs, all the hotels in Catskill Mountains when I was turning 15 that summer. Oh, so, my God. So, so it was music before acting, really. I was, I say singing is my first love. And um, so I knew, uh, you know, and I was also, then I switched my focus to acting after that summer and got real serious about the acting. But, um, but music was always a big, big, you know, it's, it's still, it's in my blood from way back then. As, as a fan of Happy Days, okay, I, I knew you could sing on this episode. I was, it, it's a terrible episode. Oh, just hear me out for a second, okay? It's it was a Valentine's Day episode, okay? Oh, yeah. And and everybody had like a segment to sing, and uh, oh, I remember like uh, Scott Baio's segment was just brutal. Some of them were really really bad, but you sang my funny Valentine, and hey. let me tell you, something. it was like, like I wanted to make fun of it, but you were so good. It was really good. Like, like you wanted, like, oh man, this is this is corny. This is, you and you, like you, like you had chops. You could and like you knew you were a legit singer. And I had never seen that side of you up until that point. And that's when I started kind of like started to follow you. Like even after, because I watched this on reruns, you know. Right. And I was like, you know, and when I saw like you started putting out music, I started like looking into your music. And dude, you could sing. You could sing. Oh, thanks. Well, have you heard any? Have you heard the CD that's out now? Mostly swinging. Well, that's this is what I listened to. This is I. Okay, I loved the uh, Christmas album, and oh. there were two songs that really stood out. And I, I do like the style of uh, of swing as well. But two songs really uh, stood out to me. We're like. I can't believe this is Don most sing because it doesn't even sound like you. Like, because again, I know you from watching it on TV. Right. Uh, the man with the bag, I think, is yeah. great. Yeah, I think it's I great. It's it a really a great... good Christmas song. Oh, thanks. And yeah. uh, the, the Christmas song, you have you put a very Tony Bennett feel to it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the Christmas song. Well, that was Nat Nat King Cole, who was one of my idols growing up. I loved Nat. I used to watch his TV show all the time. And I always loved that song. So when the producer said, you know, um, I did a CD with this producer, Willie Muriel, before this. It's called The Most, Mostly Swinging, with a great big band of some of the top L.A. jazz and studio guys and all the great standards. Well, not all, the, you know, some of the great standards that really swing. And he said, we, we should do a Christmas CD and do a swinging one, you know. And I said, oh, I'm totally into that. and um, because I remembered hearing Louis Armstrong had a 
had a, a Christmas CD that I loved. And I said, and I think that's where I saw Man with the Bag. And um, so I said, we have to do that. And he loved that one too. Then I said, can we do the Christmas song that, you know, I mean, it's so, it's so identified and so iconic to Nat. And part of me is going, you know, do you dare do that? But I love Nat so much. And, and I knew that I could sing that, you know, I could sing in that kind of tone, tonality pretty well. So he said, yeah, let's do it. And he convinced me. And I'm glad he did because it, it came out really nice. I'm glad, you, you know, and Tony Bennett was another one of the guys that I listened to all the time. So those influences are there, you know, pretty strong. He's putting out his final album right now, too, Tony Bennett. Yeah, because he pretty much retired. So yeah, um, Lady Gaga dragged him out for one more album, apparently. Oh, good. Well, that's good. What is he, 94? 94 years yeah. old. Wow, I will say I saw him like 20 years ago. So he was still in his mid 70s. And I saw him at uh, Carnegie Hall opening up with. Uh, uh, oh, man, what was her name? Katie Lang. Oh, wow. It was really wow. it, she was just coming off like that. Her big period. And let me tell you, man, he, he sang for like two hours oh, in wow. his mid 70s and just blew everybody out of the water. It was it was yeah. an amazing experience. What, what, a vo- what a voice. Yeah. What a singer. Totally, you know, yeah. The whole generation is is slowly fading away and you know people who listen to you know jeff and i are music are music addicts you know but like you hear people who are just like into like one specific genre like you know and they don't appreciate some of the stuff that came out between like you know the 50s and the 60s and 70s and it's a it's a generation that's slowly fizzling away like when you see these um i don't know if you've seen them on tv like the pbs specials where they sell the dvds and they're saying how hey the you know the 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 miracles are playing and there's like just four guys in the band one's 87 years old and the rest are in their 30s right right you know it's it's a generation that people need to listen to a little more i think because the quality of music is really amazing oh yeah i i sang at an event last week um in wisconsin and Joe Coleman, one of the original platters, was there and, and he sang and he was still sounding great. But he does some of those things where, you know, as long as there's maybe one original guy there and then they could bring in people who can simulate the sound, you know, sure. and keep it alive, which is nice. which is great. Did, did the producers of Happy Days know that you can sing? <laughs> it's a whole, it, that's a whole long story, because when I do my shows, you know, um, I sing it you know, clubs or theaters and people are like, especially in the beginning, like, holy cow, we didn't know you could sing like this. And how come you didn't sing more on Happy Days? You know, why was it just Potsy? And there's a very, I, I usually tell a funny story and I, I won't take all the time to tell all of it now. But, and Anson has a book out called, Anson Williams, who played Potsy, called Singing to a Bulldog. And in it, there's a chapter about that where he convinced Gary Marshall very early in the first season, he's saying, you know, Gary, we got you got the 50s, you got the cars, you got the the poodle skirts, the, everyone dressed up. You got the, all of that. But you're missing. You don't have the music. And we, we could have a band that you know plays. And Gary was like, well, what are you doing? And says, well, you know, I sing. And, and Gary says, are you any good? And answer, no, I'm pretty good. So um, <laughs> so, so that he convinced Gary to let him do. You know, read the book and you'll hear the funny part of the story. But um, he convinced Gary to let him try it. And it went well. And and then they did more and more. And I'm like going, 
you know, I was singing five years earlier in, in the nightclub act. And uh, so I, I, I was frustrated because it's like, I'd like to get a chance. So um, I, I set up a meeting with Gary, my manager and I went in and had a, a serious meeting and I pitched my, pleaded my case, but Gary was like, you know, Hey, it goes, if I, if I had an act where I needed a juggler, I wouldn't need two jugglers. And, and, then he, <laughs> and he kind of put it to bed. And basically, he didn't want to mess with, he had established Potsy as a singer. I was more the comedian. He didn't want to mess with it. So, but it was frustrating for me back then. Uh, but, you know, but, and I put, I put the music aside also because in the 70s and, and early 80s, it was, that music was looked upon as my grandparents' music or my parents' music, you know, even then in the 70s and 80s. But, you know, now that it's come back, you know, in the 90s and and since then, it came back in vogue, the, the Great American Songbook with, you know, with Harry Connick kind of brought it back and Tony doing Rod that. Rod Stewart as well. And Rod Stewart's done like five albums of standards. And, and Di, Di, Diana Krall, Natalie Cole was a big part of that, too. So um, I said, if I'm ever going to do it, this is the time. This is the music that I love. Not that I didn't. I also, you know, I grew up during what we call the classic rock era. You alluded to the Beatles. And I love all that music and still do. And on my new CD, I'm, start, I'm introducing a little bit of some of the you know, I do jazz stuff. It's more contemporary jazz. It's not the big band style. And we do some. I do the smoke from a distant fire, which was the Sanford Townsend band, if you remember. And and Love that um, song. Yeah, it's a great song. So hey, I talk a little bit about your um your new um album that's out. I you know, I would like to hear a little bit more about that. All right. Well, the album that's out now is called Be Most Mostly Swinging. And that's you know, that's the Sinatra stuff and Bobby Darren and Dean, you know, and you know, um great. With a swing, with a real, it's mostly swing. There's a couple of ballads. I do one for my baby, of course, uh, to just piano at the end. But but it's it's. Do you play any instruments? No, no, I don't play. I played a little when I was young. I played a little piano, but um. So that that album is mainly swing with an incredible band, and but it's not your grandfather's swing. I mean, this is you know, it's got modern kind of sensibilities, and it and it kicks. It really, you know, it, it rocks. Swing can rock. But what I'm doing now, and I'm leaving for Nashville in two weeks, I, I started working on another CD with a producer based in Nashville, a guy named Tony Mantor, great producer. And he said, let's do, I'd love to produce you, but let's do, we'll do some jazz standards, but not with a big band, with a more contemporary jazz kind of configuration. And, you know, more like a smaller, broken down kind of band. And um, and we picked out some great songs and, and they were going well, but we decided let's also integrate some, like I said, Smoke from a Distant Fire. We do Ooh Baby, Baby, The Smokey Robinson, uh, Ain't No Sunshine, Bill Withers. Oh man, Bill Withers, great song. Yeah, so, so and-, and we, But you, wait, hold on a second. With the, that song, Ain't No Sunshine, that's, a re, that's kind of like almost like a, a slower, you know, bluesy song. You put? Did you add a jazz arrangement on that? No, not really. You know, Tony's real smart. We don't jazz it up. It's just we treat it kind of bluesy and all that. Um, maybe it has a tiny bit of a jazz element, um, but but it it just kind of fits because um, because the the 
the jazz approach to the songs that we're doing are not, like I said, the big band. It's a more contemporary thing. So the guitars are important and and the basic kind of feel of it. Um, it, it it's jazz, but it's also a little bit of popish, or, you know, there's a little bit of blues in there. So the Bill Withers thing with the, the blues aspect of it fit. Just like we did Smoke from a Distant Fire, we slowed it down and did it very bluesy. Mm. So, so, so it, it fits. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how it all comes together. I, I leave in two weeks and, and we have four songs to, to finish it up and hopefully it'll be out maybe early 22. I really Before. like the version of uh, Blue Skies because I'm a huge uh, oh, Willie song. Nelson fan. I'm a huge That's Willie a great, Nelson great fan. That was a great version of it. Oh, oh you're a huge, what, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. So I'm, a, I'm a very big Willie Nelson fan too. Oh, growing Willie up Nelson. my whole life, oh. I love the version of Blue Skies a lot. Oh, yeah. I really did. Oh, but you heard mine on the mostly swinging CD. Yeah. No, oh. I just threw that random freaking <laughs> song out, Don, hoping well, that you maybe you knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I, I thought, well, cool. I'm glad you heard it. Um, I we based that on there was a, a Dinah Washington version that I really love, and and a version by. A group called that you probably never heard, but you should check them out. LeVay Smith and her Red Hot Skillet Liquors. You're absolutely right. I have never heard of them. I, well, in, fa- in fact, I have everything they've ever recorded. LeVay Smith? Okay. Well, anyway, really, they're out of San Francisco. They're really good. And they did a version of Blue Skies that, um, well, don't, I, you're laughing, but I've met, I've met people who, who totally know LeVay. No, here's the reason why I'm laughing. Okay, Sean and I are both stand-up right. comedians, right? And we we travel. Um, I I was in <laughs> I was in Florida in uh, April, and uh, sometimes I get booked on these uh, 55 and older community type of shows. Right. I don't know if right. you ever they're good. They they have you know they draw big crowds. You know, the, the money is good. And the, the show that I was, uh, uh, you know you're there for like a week, and the show I was on is two comedians and a musical act. The comedians do a half hour each. The musical act does 45 minutes. I was with Frieder and the boys. Okay. Frieder is about 75. The boys are about 87 each. Okay. Right. So when you wouldn't, the name of that band, you were just talking about, that's what it made me think of. Well, they're great. They're really good. And anyway, I based, um, I kind of played that, her version and Dinah Washington's version. And um, for Willie Maria, who produced us mostly swinging then we came up with our own one, that, but those were in the influences. And so I'm glad you like Blue Sky, Sean. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good arrangement, and it was a lot of fun to do. But all, all of those songs on that CD, I think you know Willie, uh, Will, Willie, totally nailed the arrangements, and and um, I had a blast doing it. Just a great, great time. Um. In, in the, we're gonna go between you know music and and happy days because you know our listeners are gonna want to hear a little bit about that. But you know, so in happy days, you know, you were like you mentioned, you were kind of like the funny guy. At any point in your career, did you ever want to do stand up comedy? Oh no, never. I was never really. Com- I was never the comedian in real life. I I was I, in high school. My, my friends were. I knew guys like that, and I would be their straight man. You know, I was the quiet, shy, introverted guy. I was never, had no interest. And even after, say, big success on Happy Days, you might say, oh, well, why didn't you parlay that? And do? 
I could never have done stand-up comedy because to me, I, I was not that guy. I was taking on a role. I, I could act like a guy who's that. Mm. I could become that guy, but that's not who I am. And I'm not comfortable, you know, if I was playing a comedian who was doing a stand-up routine, that I could do. But I can't, I couldn't go on as me and do a stand-up routine. I couldn't do it. It's funny how your character kind of evolved on that show. Because I remember in the first season, you were kind of almost like more of like a, of a self-assured, like kind of like a wise guy, almost like a jock type of a guy. Right. You know, you would you would bust Richie's uh, chops a little bit. You know, you were kind yeah. of cooler than than um, uh, uh, Posse and, and Richie. Yeah. You had you got chicks, you got girls. And then as the, the show started to evolve, you became like, again, that's why I thought maybe, OK, you liked uh, comedy because they they uh, had you doing a lot of like you wanted to be a stand up. Wasn't there an episode where you were going to quit to do stand up? Where I was going to quit what? Weren't you going to quit college or something to oh. become a stand up comedian? I don't know if the, I don't quite remember it's possible been a while but you're you're absolutely right there was a an evolution there because at the beginning you know all they told me was you see because i was auditioning for the role of pot seats and then they they called my agent and said you know anson's gonna do that but they the executives loved his screen test so much they want to put him in the show make the role well, uh, when before they they did the um the segment on Love American style or is this after Love American style? After the Love American style, what was what happened there was they did a pilot about almost two years before the one that I did that got on the air. It was about two years earlier, 1970-71, and it didn't sell. So they you know wanted to get something out of for the, the money. They laid it off on the Love American style you know, as an episode, but then. And Anson, you know, Anson was in that. Yeah. Anson played Potsy and Ron Howard played Richie. And there was a, Marion was the mom, but there was a different dad and there was a different daughter and there was no Fonzie, no Ralph and it didn't sell. So then about a year and a half later, American graffiti comes out and then Greece comes out on Broadway. So the ABC execs are like, Oh, wait a minute. Didn't we have a show about the fifties, you know? And, but they said to Gary, you have to make a new pilot because they were worried that Anson and Ron would be too old and they wanted a new pilot. And Gary was like, no, no, they're not too old. But ABC made Gary screen test Ron and Anson, who had already done the show, you know, had shot, oh. shot a pilot. Right. But they, they had to screen test against a bunch of other hopefuls and me being one of those other hopefuls. How, now, how did you get? even get to do the screen test because you're a guy in in brooklyn you know i think you went to school in pennsylvania i had to journey out to california and even get the screen test for this thing well um you know i've been after that summer where i was singing i i was going to a, a more serious acting workshop and i started really getting into it and i was able to get a manager and i started going out on a lot of auditions and i got a I started landing commercials, which was big in, in the late 60s, early 70s. New York was the mecca for commercials. I mean, still probably is, but even more so then. So I did a lot of big nationals. I did like 40 commercials in four years while I was my last year of high school and then three years of college. You know, while I was in Pennsylvania, I was taking a bus from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania to Manhattan 
for for these auditions all the time. You know, I was like crazy. And for a five minute audition, I'd be on the bus for three hours, you know, and then go back. But I went out. Then I decided after the summer, after my junior year to go to California and spend the summer trying to get some doors opened up, get my feet wet. And and, and then that way, when I graduated a year later, uh, maybe I try it out in L.A. So I, I, I did. But things started happening when I got out there that summer. I landed a few. I was able to get an agent and I landed a few guest starring roles on TV shows. And, you know, um, one thing led to another. And then I wound up staying, not going back for my senior year. I the agent said, take six months off, keep the momentum going, you know. So that's what I did. And then that led to I got another part. And then I got the audition for Happy Days, which led to another audition and then a screen test. And then they told me I didn't get it. Anson was going to play Potsy again, but they wanted to create a role for me because the executives really liked my screen test. So Ralph, they described as kind of a jock who, you know, he was into cars and that, yeah, that was about it. And then on the pilot, he was kind of like a wisecracking. He was a bit of a wisecracker. Like you said, he was a little cooler. He's showing off his hickey in the right, pilot. Right. I'm right. showing he off my hickey. Yeah, yeah. So, so he was a little bit cooler, a little bit, you know. Um, but he wasn't a close friend of Richie and Potsy's. He was a little guy. He was, and Ralph was the guy off to the side. But as they started making our characters more and more integral, it started to change and evolve. And you know, and and they they went in a little different directions, just like Fonzie. Har- Fonzie hardly spoke in those first five, six episodes. You know, he would he would give a thumbs up and he would his body language. He'd say a couple of words, you know, and he was as cool as can be. Yeah. But, you know, you think about how much his character evolved from where he was in the first season. And then we <laughs> went in front of an audience by the third season. And he's like, you know, it's totally. You, different. Know, you, you said one word already when he was a teacher. Yeah. Right? They made Fonzie a teacher at the end. Well, that was years later. I was gone by then. I I, I know. Well, she was going to ask you a question, but I got a, I got a question to ask you about why you left. So <laughs> you, you said one word, which I think is very pivotal, and it's character, right? Right. And I always felt like the a lot of the TV comedies in like the 70s and 80s had these standout characters, you know, yeah. that were, you don't really see a lot on like the ensemble cast that you see on these TV shows now, but being that there was such a memorable character, do you feel like that was a little harder for you to break out of that character? Like when you're going oh, yeah. out for auditions in the eighties and nineties after that? Oh yeah, de- very much so. And the other element that made it t- difficult was today, you know, you're on a, today you're on a series and then you do a movie. And then you, or you're in a movie and you do a series. You go back and people go back and forth. Back then, it was very hard to go from a TV series into films back then. It was very difficult. And um, it was like different classes. And also, you have to remember that there were only three networks for the most part. So there was no, there was no cable. There was no internet. There was none of this. So there's three channels. We would have 50, 60 million people watching us on Tuesday nights, as opposed to a hit now that's five million, six million. So, you know, the 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 syndrome of getting typecast was much more prevalent because you're, you know, you have so many people knowing you from the show. So yes, back then you would get typecast much more readily. 
and especially a show like, you know, you're talking about where the characters are kind of, you know, really maybe even a little bigger than life. And from a sitcom to break out is is tougher than a drama, I think. So it was it was very challenging. And, um, you know, I, but I kept plugging away and plugging away. And, you know, I would do this, I would do that theater and get get a, a role that would I'd have a chance to show something else and that lead to another one and some independent films and more and more. And in the last three years, I think because I'm getting older has helped too to separate me getting older. Absolutely. But I've been doing a lot of, I did four, I've done four films since November and I and did everything two, you've done is been completely different. Very, especially the, the as of late the range of roles that you're playing. Yeah. Really interesting roles. I, I would go from playing a pastor to a polygamist and then from a polygamist to, to a king and then a prison guard, a king to a prison guard. And, you know, and, and, and then, um, and then a career criminal, then the CEO of a big company. So I love that. That's what, to me, I went into acting about, you know? So it's, it's, it's happening now more than, you know, I, I, I wanted this 20 years ago, but it was tough. You know, I was able to work, but, but I'm, I'm grateful for, for the, what's been happening as of late, and I'm just praying it continues. You know, I, I, you know, both Sean and I, besides doing stand up, we, you know, we we act. Um, uh, I was, I, I got, I got a break a couple of years ago. I got cast in a Scorsese oh, nice. film. Um, yeah, yeah, the Irishman. You heard of it? Yeah, I've heard of it. I never. I, 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 I have yeah, to see the Irishman. Irishman. You should yeah. watch it, Don. After after this interview, um, are you in California right now? Yes. All right. So we'll be done about five o'clock your time. If you started on Netflix at about five fifteen, it'll be over by Wednesday morning. <laughs> yeah. What you want to say? It's a long movie, but yeah. but, here, so, but here's the thing though: is like <laughs> as a, as an actor, actors would kill. Think about people would kill to to, to get a reoccurring role on a hit TV show. And then I think was it by season seven that you left Happy Days on your own accord. So where, where do you get the guts to say, you know what, I'm going to break away from this. I'm going to break away from this steady work, this steady paycheck yeah. and get away from that. That had to be a tough decision for you. Yes, it was, it was a tough decision. Very tough. And, you know, some people say, well, maybe it wasn't gutsy. Maybe it was stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, and there are times when I thought that myself, maybe I was stupid. But um, no, it, it, I don't re even really regret it. Um, it was it was sort of something I, I really knew I had to do then to try to break away because, you know, I'm playing the same character for seven years, as John alluded to, you know, you're getting it's such a that Fonzie character, Ralph character, so you get so associated with it. And 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 I was, you know, if I was a comedian, if I was a stand-up comedian, then it would have been different because then I'd make, you know, okay, I could still keep doing my comedy and, and I'll use this. But I wasn't that guy and I wasn't a comedian. I was an actor and I wanted to act and I wanted to have a career that went beyond when that show's over. I want to have it for the rest of my life. So I felt, and I felt the scripts, the quality of the scripts was, was not what it had been. You're 100% right about that. It, it was, that before, it, was that before or right after he jumped the shark? It was after. It was after. You know, no, but, but he, I, um, uh, Don, but, you were in you were in that iconic episode. You were, oh, you yeah. were going to drive the boat. 
Yeah. Wearing a striped well, yeah, shirt. But then, but then Richie drove the boat. Yeah. Um, you know, no, it was, it, I, I, that episode happened before I left, but I was still under contract. So it was when my contract was up and the, and the scripts were getting worse and worse. I thought there were still some good ones. All of a sudden, there'd be a really good episode, but then the next three would be pretty bad. And, and I, so that was a big part of it. But I'll tell you something which I've only recently started telling people. And I talked in, in an interview about this the other day. I, I didn't talk about this. I don't know. I felt maybe it was out of line to, to do this. But now I don't think it is. Um, I was really unhappy. Um, and I felt it was time to move on and all that. But, you know, I had a lot of people saying, giving me the reasons why I should stay. So I said to my manager, OK, here's what we should tell them. Tell them that they were now going to give me because it was a new contract to stay. They were offering me by far the biggest raise that I had been offered because up until then I was under contract and there were there were bumps each year and you'd get more. But now they were offering me much bigger raise than they had ever offered me. So I said, tell them, forget the raise. I'll do it without the raise. I'll come back and you don't have to even give me any more money than you were paying me before. But give me a chance to do a TV movie on ABC, which the show was on, or a supporting role in a film at Paramount, where they were the producing the produce, Paramount was producing the show. So to do that, and then I don't even need the raise. They hmm. wouldn't do it. So I, why? You tell me. I don't know. They probably just it. trying to hold on to that intellectual property. I would think, right? Why? Well, hold on to what? I left. Yeah, what, what, what does that mean? I left. Intellectual, why? I have to. That, I'm telling you, that, that, is, that is a really, that's a guy who has conviction, man. That's not, that, that's like backing it up. So what do, you, what, what do you do from that point? Did you try to get into like putting an act together, doing some music, you know, doing something completely, completely different than what you had been doing for the, the seven years uh, before? Um, well, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't really try anything with the music at that point yet. A little later I did, but at that point I was just, and I said to my agent, I don't even want to do television series for, for a while. I want to just try to do films and theater. And, you know, it, like I said, it was very hard back then to do that. But I figured, look, I've, I've done well for these last six, seven years. You know, um, I, I'm in a position where I can hang out, hold out for a while, hold out, hold out for what I'm trying to do. So that's what I, I said. I don't want to do another series. So I said, just films and and uh, theater. So I went like nine months and I couldn't even get an audition for a movie. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't even get an audition for, for films. So, you know, it was a bit of a rude awakening. But then it was like, OK, I'll do do some television, you know. But but, you know, but I was I, and I got some, but it wasn't the kinds of roles I really was trying, hoping to get. And so it was a struggle. You were getting on everything, though. I, I remember you, like, you know, I remember you were on Love Boat. Yeah. Yeah, that was you after Love I, Boat. Yeah, well, that, well, I turned it down for the first, you know, two years because I said I didn't want to do. And then finally, when, when I couldn't even get an audition, and then when the house that I figured I could always sell, and, oh, and you know, I had a house in Malibu. Okay, I'll sell that. And then I could hold out for longer. Well, all of a sudden, there's a landslide condition in the community that, and my house is now worth ten cents on the dollar, because so now I can't sell the house, and I and I, you, it's crazy times that 
I was going through. So then I go, okay, maybe I'll do it. Were you, you married? Know. Yeah, yeah, I was married. But so then that's when I decided I would do start doing some television. And that's when I started doing a lot of those guest starring roles. But that was after all this went down. Did you stay in touch after you left? Did you stay in touch with uh, Ron Howard? Yeah, we we stayed in touch. Um, I stayed in touch with Ron um, and everyone to some degree. But, you know, we everyone got busy doing different things. So it was a little hard. But we, you know, I run into them. We'd see each other. Um, and Ron and I uh, continued to talk for for a while. When especially well, when the two started. of you were also both directors. You were also a director. Well, yeah, my directing happened much later than his. He started. He left the same year I did. He left the show Happy that's Days. Right. You guys both went to the uh, army, right? Was that how they wrote? That's, that, that's how they explained our right. disappearance. But but he 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 did that because he wanted to pursue the directing. And um, I don't know what ever happened with that. But yeah, really. you know, it, it was probably a bad decision that he probably should have stayed on and jumped yeah. in, you know, and this time yeah. jumped like an octopus or something. Let's just let's just let's just let's just say it the way we really want to say it. Clint Howard is definitely the most talented of that whole family. <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. Continue, well, Jeff. Well, well, and Clint's a good he's a good character actor. Clint's very oh, good. Yeah. He is. yeah, he's in everything. But 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 knew him on a film when he was trying to prove he could direct. I was doing an experimental film with him, developing it, starring in it. And um, then halfway through, he got an assignment to direct. So, so we continued talking. Um, you know, then um, he, but you know, then he he cast me some years later in uh, Ed TV. He gave me a nice little part. Hoping I'm hoping he'll call me again soon and and uh, put me in another one. You know, but I didn't direct until my first one was 1999. So that was many years. You know, good good many years later. Do you do a lot of the uh, like convention circuits? Uh, you mean like uh, autographs and yeah, uh, sometimes not a lot, you know, but 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 some, you know, here, you know, probably maybe three or four a year, maybe okay. you know, something like that. It's a huge market. Like I always remember, like see, I'm I'm in my mid forties, but I, like I like Jeff said before, I used to watch the show on syndication growing up too. And then like a lot of the other shows like good times and you know, what's happening and all these things. So I would still go to these conventions and I went a few years ago and they had the whole cast from what's happening there. Right. Oh, yeah. And the place lost their mind because it was like the first time that they had ever been out there and they're screaming, no Roger, no rerun, no rent. Like the whole entire courtyard is screaming this, right? And so I, the reason I went there was to meet one of my heroes, which was Henry Winkler, because yeah. I was a huge, I was a huge fan of the show growing up, and he was one of my idols when I met him. And uh, yeah, it's kind of strange when you see this iconic guy with the leather jacket and the motorcycle who just bashes his hand on a on a jukebox and it makes a play, and the women are just dropping. And then when you meet him, he's just a little old Jewish grandfather. <laughs> I know. I, he's, well, he was a, so nice like he, he was yeah. painfully nice yep yeah that's henry that's henry and henry you know was never never the fonz just like i was saying i was never really the comedian ralph um and you gotta hand it to henry what you know he did a brilliant job creating that character and playing the fonz and he's so completely diametrically different than that character. So different. And um, and I'm so happy for him when he won won the Emmy a couple of years ago for Barry, you know. Um, right. 
for the show. Brilliant, brilliant role. So, so you know, that's is about time. You know th- that kind of recognition because you know for years we were we weren't taking seriously our show, um, and I, I think they thought we were a bunch of you know kids goofing off, having a good time, and didn't realize like we were working real hard. Henry was nothing like that guy. I was nothing like Ralph. You know, and we had Gary Marshall as our exec producer and brilliant comedic mind and Jerry Paris was our director who directed all the most of the old Dick Van Dyke shows and and he was brilliant and you know we had fun but there were a lot of talented people on that show taking it seriously working hard to make it look easy that's what people realize now more than they did Uh, 30 years 30 years uh, ago a hundred a hundred percent because it's like on like these um, retro stations you know, it, it still kind of makes you popular. And like, you know, you like you'll you'll sit there and like, let me uh, see what, what what Don Most is up to. Let's see what answers. Like. You see what these people are up to. And then like you start to go down the, the Don Most wormhole. And that's when I started listening to like the music. And then that episode came on that awful up that that <laughs> the Valentine's Day episode. But like, you're like man, and you know, it, it's interesting. Like when you watch that episode and then you listen to the music that you're putting out now, how it, it's really cool how much like your voice like changed and became like like a real like freaking like real great like swing singer mm. you know like, you like it really the, did change the evolution from when you heard me do my funny valentine to what it is now right is you yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like like the power in your voice yeah. like like yeah. You, you had a you had a nice singing voice and yeah and you, you had very nice phrasing when you did my funny valentine right when you heard some of the other people sing it was just like stop you know you know <laughs> right. but when you sang like I didn't turn the channel and I was like, right. you, 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 you were good. And then when you hear the way you sing now, yeah. it's like, you, you don't believe it's the same guy. Yeah. Well, i worked on it a lot. Um, some of it was also the nature of the song itself. My funny Valentine is a, is it more of a, it's kind of a tender song. So, you know, you're limited to some degree in terms of the dynamics of it, but, but there has been an evolution, I think, because um. Uh, when I decided I really wanted to do it, I think what's helped me a lot is the technology that exists today. Because back then, think about it: if I wanted to, if I wanted to like rehearse or work on music, if you if you have a band, you can do that, you know. Or if you're a guitarist and pianist and you're writing music, you could you could work on it. But I I didn't have that ability to work on it. But with the technology. I discovered these programs where I could take a song, Sinatra song or you know whatever, and I could almost take most of the vocal out and then put the tracks into GarageBand and then sing like I got the Nelson Riddle Orchestra behind me, you know, like <laughs> Sinatra did, and record it. I was like a kid in a candy shop. I'm recording like hundreds of songs. <laughs> now I'm singing every song Sinatra ever did. And I'm singing Tony Bennett, you know. What are your, some of your favorite Sinatra songs? Oh God, oh, that's how do you pick? Give us, Luck. give us three. Give us three. Okay, uh, "Luck Be a Lady" is "Luck Be Great a song. Lady." I love um, the guys and dolls, right? Yeah, I guess I've got you under my skin is up there. "Lady Is a Tramp" and then "Fly Me to the Moon." You know, there, there's four right off the top of my head, but you know, you can name another ten. But um, but I closed my show with "Mac the Knife" because. Because I'm a bot, because 
Copy there. Yeah, I, I close with Mac. But um, so so anyway, the the technology I think by and working and working and then experimenting with all kinds of different songs, you know, so, songs by by some of the rock groups, you know, where it was a song I always loved by the Eagles or a song I always loved by, you know, whoever. I could play around with that on GarageBand, you know? So I think working it and working it and working it like that, my my voice, yeah, and part of also just the, the you know, maturing. It, 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 the voice kind of matured as well. And, and, and but, the, but the, the work is what I think probably helped the most. You know the constantly uh, exercising the muscle. Well, we've okay, already so, seen we've seen a Pat Boone record. We've seen a David Hasselhoff record. What do I have uh, to do to convince Don Most to do a heavy metal record? <laughs> heavy metal? I don't think that's in my in the cards for me. I, I don't. But you know, I guess never. Seen look, never. I'm not saying like some horrible like Cannibal Corpse or stuff like that. I'm talking like your basics. Do like a Metallica song. Do like maybe uh, a God smacks so, something simple to start. Well, uh, let, let, let me sleep on it. Let me think about that. What <laughs> I'll do is I will. I, I I'm a computer music guy myself. I will go in. I will rip out all the all the vocals. Did you do that? Let me see what. The, let me see how that feels. I'm, see, I'm curious now. <laughs> I see two things in Don Most's future. One, uh, because you're an older guy now. And you, you got you still got the, the the pipes, Broadway. Yeah, I would love to do Broadway, and um, yeah, I think that could happen. I, I I would be into that, totally. I mean, I mean, you you definitely listen. You you you, you can act. You could sing. You got you know a look. You know, if, if they did like Joe Biden the musical, you got the lead right now. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> uh, there, that's a good idea. I like that. Well, the, and, the, but, and the other thing is. Um, I'm in New York uh, City. Uh, Sean is in uh, New Jersey. But like on 54th Street, uh, they have a club there called Under 54, where they have uh, singers come in and they do the stands and everything. I, if you, you got to play that room. And if you do, oh, you I'm coming 50, to see it. 54 Below? 54 Below. That's right. Yeah, I've done that about four or five times, but it's been a couple of years since I've been there. Two, three years. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can get come back there. I like that. I'll yeah. tell you what I would love to do. I would love to be able to set up a show with Don Mose at the Friars Club in New York. Oh, yeah. Join the Friars. You know, I, I went to the Friars Club as somebody's guest and um, actually got up, you know, just did a couple of songs. But to do a whole show there, I would be into that. Yeah. I'm going to work on that. I am a Friar, so I'm going to work on that. Oh, great. You would yeah, never be able would... to tell by the Guns N' Roses flag behind me, but <laughs> yeah. I, I am a and, successful and the picture, person. And the picture of you pulling your hair out with the rage yes. behind well, you. Well, that's just from right. dealing with you every week, Jeffrey. <laughs> I anyway. like that. That picture. That's good. Thank you. Um, that would be fun. Yeah, let's yeah, do we, that. We can definitely do that. All right. Cool. Hey, what got you into directing, man? That Directing looks hard. Yeah, you know, it is. <laughs> it is. It's a lot. I... I I don't want to say it's easier acting, but well, it, it is in many respects. There's less, there's less um, pressure and less um, demands on you um, when you're acting as opposed to the director who has to be on top of everything, on top of you know for months before you ever start shooting and for months after you finish shooting. You know, so it it, it is tough. But um, I I don't know. I just what happened was 
I knew one day I'd want to direct, but I figured it would be later. And then what, I got an opportunity somebody to, to direct a, uh, at a theater, you know, to direct a play. So um, I took the opportunity and I said, let me see how it goes. And it went really well. I enjoyed it and um, it was successful. So I did some more. I directed some more theater. And then um, and did then you pull I started, Ron for any advice. Uh, not during the theater stuff, not during that, because he hasn't directed theater. But then when I got my first, then I started looking for material, uh, you know, scripts that and then that could be done on a low budget kind of level so that be easier to find the financing. And I, I found a script and, and I was introduced to a producer who had a good experience. He had done the original Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and some other films. So uh, with him as a producer, we were able to raise some money. And um, and I did my first film called The Last Best Sunday. It's a very dramatic piece, actually. There's not not a lot of comedy in this. Um, and it was difficult, but I loved it. I really I really enjoyed it. And um, and I've done two since then, two other. And then for that first one, I did call Ron. And I had some questions that I want, uh, you know, to get Ron's input. And was he cool uh, with you? Did, oh did yeah, to- totally, totally cool. Yeah, I mean, we we were great friends, and we're still, you know, we're not as as close as we were when we were seeing each other every day for all those years. But you know, we still, as I see him, it's like you know, seeing your cousin, you know, seeing the cousin you haven't seen in a while. So we're still tight. He was great. He he answered, you know, he. Gave me some good insight into some of the things I was curious about, and it was very helpful. So um, I've done two since then. I did another one called Mula, which is comedy drama, um, pretty funny stuff. And but then it gets a little hard for the family film, which was a real challenge because I had to work with kids and animals and no money, <laughs> and that was a challenge. And um, and I've got several really good projects that I'm hoping to get going and maybe get to direct again. I hope. At the height of happy days, okay, how crazy was it? Like, like, were you able to go out to places? Were you mobbed by people? Like, what kind of, how was it to have that type of fame? Well, yeah, it's, it, it was pretty crazy. Like I said, with, you know, 50, 60 million people watching you every Tuesday, it was, it, it did exactly. get to the point where it was hard to go anywhere without, you know, getting recognized. And I found myself without even realizing, and then it hit me one day, that when I was deciding to go to a restaurant without consciously thinking about it, I would only pick places that were dark where I could be somewhere where nobody, you know, you could kind of almost hide. And it hit me that that's where I was gravitating to, you know, and you, you, you just didn't, it, it wasn't like once in a while, it was all the time. So it starts to be, it takes it getting a, a adjusted to and acclimating to that. And, and it can mess with your head too, because, you know, you start believing that kind of hype. Um, I, I wouldn't have gotten mobbed if I went out by myself, but, you know, you, you, they'd recognize you, come up to you, maybe draw a little crowd. But we did get mobbed when we were together. If we were making appearances back in those days, like if Henry and I, we went to the Paramus Mall, where Sean probably knows the Paramus Mall. Mm-hmm. And because and, and, it was early on when we were getting really big and we were supposed to make an appearance at the mall and sign autographs and all that. Well, by the time we got there, because Henry was with me and Henry was getting really hot, there were so many, it was a sea of people, just a sea of people. And they had the 
little barricades in front of us and there were some security. But they, within three minutes, the security realized they weren't going to be able to keep the crowd back because they started surging forward, surging. And, sur- and they said, we got to get you out of here because they knew they couldn't control it. It was that it was getting to be like a mob. So they said, you got to get out of here. I said, where are we going to go? Because we're surrounded. It was a fountain behind us, you know, with the different levels. They said, you're going up the fountain. So here, Henry and I are climbing to get out of there. We climb up a fountain and whisk us away, <laughs> send the decoy car and put us on the floor of a limo to get us out of there. I mean, so it was, you know, it was a little like you're the Beatles. All of a sudden, you you know, you were the Beatles. You so, know, it's, it's that's amazing feeling though, because like this is this is the reason why like you know I don't do too many shows with Jeff doing stand up because people constantly recognize him from the Irishman, you know, and they're <laughs> constantly bum rushing him all the time. And I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. I want to go up there. I want to do my shtick, and I want to get all you know get paid and go home. Yeah. But I don't want the fame like Jeff does. Yeah, you well, know? you're smart. You're yeah. smart. <laughs> you, yeah, you heard stories like people like David Cassidy. You know, and and then you know the the Partridge family cast and and the and the the, the, the folks from the Brady's, like you know, you would hear the same thing that you just said. Uh, but for David Cassidy, he was a guy who like he really couldn't handle it. You know, basically it ruined his life. Yeah, it's you know they, they I often say to, to people that in acting school they never have a class on dealing with fame. You know, they should have a some sort of but you need like a, a class in abnormal psychology because. That's what it is. It's like all of a sudden you're in a twilight zone. It's abnormal. It's not normal. How did you yeah. how did you handle it so well? Like you're a level-headed guy. Well, you know, I I went through some periods where you know um it was tough and I started getting, you know, seduced by it and caught up in a little bit. But I think what happened for us, we and Anson and I talk about this. We were very lucky. First of all, we had a guy named Ron Howard who had been a star. Since he was, you know, I mean, he'd been in the business since he was three and a half. And and from the time he was five, he was a star. And here he is acting as very grounded and normal as can be. So he's setting a good tone. How can we start being full of ourselves and get sucked into this crazy world when, when he's not? And then we also had Gary Marshall and Jerry Paris that were like mentors to us to try to, you know, keep us grounded. And I think... I, I owe a lot to, you know, I had a great family, you know, my parents, my grandparents, and, you know, I think a strong family uh, b- background. And I was lucky that it didn't happen when I was 13 or 14, when you don't know who you are yet. You don't have a sense of identity. How old were you when it hit? I was 20 when we started Happy Days. So I was 21, 22 when it really started taking off. But I'd been through three years of college already, you know, a normal uh, public school, high school, you know, upbringing and just down to earth, you know, that I think all those things were, were, uh, so I'm thankful for, at the, you know, looking back how, how important that was to keeping me sane and somewhat level-headed. Before we let you go, a couple of questions from our viewers and the mailbag. Um, Ryan in Hartford asks, um, oh, I just had his question right here. Uh, oh, here we go. Um, what happened to Chuck? It's like they started realizing very the producers that um, they gravitating to it more and more towards episodes with the with the guys with Richie Potsy, 
Ralph and then and Fonz. And the family stuff, you know, the mom, the stuff with the mom and dad and the daughter was pretty clear cut. You know, they knew what to do. But initially, all the, for Chuck, they they did they had him as the dumb jock who would come through dribbling a basketball, you know, say something kind of dumb and and you know, not much more. And and they didn't really find a place to take it. And so they explained to me, the producers after the first season, that it was a combination of the actor, you know, not being happy and then them realizing, yeah, we don't quite know, you know, the, the show's going in this direction, mutual kind of agreement that, you know, he was off to college. <laughs> and there he went. He went off to college. <laughs> yeah, went upstairs and never came back down. Another question we have is, hey, um, this is from Dave in New Jersey. Um, you still keep in touch with the cast, particularly Scott Bayo. Um, so so we we do. I do. I talk to Anson. Anson's like my best friend. I talk to him a couple times a week and I see Anson oh, all wow. the time. We're as tight as can be. We're tighter now than we were. And we were tight then, but we're even tighter now. Um, as I mentioned, I, I still stay in touch. I'll see Ron, Ron, maybe once a year, but we'll email each other a few times, you know, but he's, he's in London right now. He was in Australia. You know, I was in, I was in the Czech Republic, you know, so we're all over Henry, you know, we'll, we'll get together for lunch and, and get on the phone every periodically Marion. I see Marion um, once in a while, Marion Ross. I saw her a few, actually started a couple months ago, went to her house so, yeah. And, and Scott, I was seeing for a while, we play golf. You know, I used to play golf with Scott. Um, but, it, you know, late, things in the last year or two, things got a little, uh, you know, with the whole political climate got a little crazy. And so um, I guess. real fire storm uh, yeah, politically so, so like I on, haven't, on social media. We haven't spoken in, um, in, in, you know, a good year or so. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe things will kind of calm down. We'll see. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you do any work um, since you and Anson are such good friends? And you know, he sings, you sing. Have you guys ever put like any yeah, musical? It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, funny. Uh, you know, he he he, he was he kind of gave that up. He 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 wasn't really. Yeah, he, he was really. You know, um, he did it for a while back then on the show, and a little bit after. But he's really not that into it anymore. And um, he he directed a ton of television. He became a big television director. He directed over. 300 hours of television 300 di- and oh, and he never put me in one thing oh, oh my god sh- you know from everything from melrose place to to the law shows to to hercules he's got some projects and he also started his own products company he's a real entrepreneur and they got very busy with that but um we did do one show that we did together and some and it's funny uh, you know where we did um you know stuff from the fifties and shared stories and, and all of that showed clips and um, did a lot of the songs from that era. Uh, but, but some, we might do that again. It's funny because somebody has been talking to us about, about that. So I want to keep doing my own thing because I love it, but I also wouldn't have any problem and I'd be open to doing this with Anson to doing, you know, uh, uh, sort of revisiting that show. Cause it was a lot of fun when we did, we only did it twice. Natural so Branson. Time. Branson. Branson. Branson, Missouri. Yeah, Br- maybe. I, I don't know. You know, we'll see. But, but like I said, I, I, I still want to pursue, you know, doing 
my shows in theaters. Um, I've mainly done, I've done some theaters with it and a lot of the jazz clubs in New York. I did 54 Below, like I said, four or five times. Catalina's Jazz Club out here in LA. And How about the Brados. Blue Note? Can you be you know, coming Note. through there? Yeah, maybe. What's the third? Um, Blue Note, isn't that in the village? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe. I, you know, we'll have to see. I did a place called The Cutting Room in New York mm-hmm. City. Oh, I love I've done comedy there. It's it's awesome. What a great room that is. Yeah, I like the cutting room. And also the Iridium, perfect. And, the, and the Iridium Jazz Club I've done. Iridium is, is great too. Yeah. So I've done that, but I'm doing my first symphony in, in November. I'm singing with a symphony at Hershey, Pennsylvania. So I am psyched. Yeah. I'm you know, it'd be like a pop symphony, you know, like you know, pops. So instead of maybe 180 pieces, musicians. It may be only 40, but still, it'll, great, be, it'll be fantastic. Yeah, will have that sound. Yeah, I can't wait. Because then, then once I do this one, it might open up to do some more of that. I, I'm really looking forward to that. All right, here's the and last that, question. Here's the last yeah. question. And now I want an honest answer because they're both dead. Al Molinaro or Pamarita, who would you prefer? Unfair, unfair. No, can't I need an it. answer. I need an answer. <laughs> I can't. I Come can't. on. That's impossible. But I will say, um, I love them both. They were both so great. I mean, affection and, and, and love for those guys. Um, but I did, um, Pat would, did introduce me. I don't think I ever had the opportunity to go out, you know, like to the bar restaurant with Al, but I did with Pat, <laughs> you know, and, and Pat um, introduced me to a drink and uh, that I, to this day, I remember the first time um, it was uh, it was a really cool drink. Um, it was vodka. It was with it was coffee, but vodka and sambuca, and it is it was mm. great. So so I had those. I had some experiences like that with Pat. With I didn't have with Al, but but they were both so funny in their own way and such wonderful guys. Um, you can't pick. You just can't. I think the two yeah. most underrated people on the show personally. Yeah. Oh. They were fantastic. They were Al. I mean, you can't, you could not crack up from both of those guys. You just could mm-hmm. not, not crack up. They were great. What this was great, Don. We really, listen. We could talk, sit and talk to you for another hour. You know, you, you really, you, you were awesome. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, man. Oh, my pleasure. I, I enjoyed talking to both of you, and um. Thanks for having me. And yeah, we'll, we'll, let's do it again, you know, a year from now when I got some more cool stuff to talk about, hopefully. And if you're coming through New York, you're going to do 54 Below, you're doing any, you know, kind of any one of those rooms, let us know. We'll plug it on the show. Oh, we'll help okay. you fill it. All right. Great. Great. That sounds like a good good plan, a good deal. Thank you. And as soon as we sign off, Sean's going to start working on that. Um, and Metallica. And, and, uh, yeah, he's gonna send you the Metallica stuff, and then you guys are gonna be performing at the Friars Club. There oh yeah, go. absolutely. All right, we got a lot of we got a future. Twenty twenty two is gonna be our year, guys. Uh, it sounds good to me. It'll be great. It'll be Ralph Mouth and Sean the Mouth. Be fucking perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Have a great. Again. Thank you so much. Thank you so thank much you. for your time, Don. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye.